0: We're so thankful to have this time with you. It's been very unexpected uh, that the Lord would open the door for us to be here at this time like this. Uh, But this year has been very unexpected all the way around, hasn't it? I mean, the things that are happening have been happening. We would have never anticipated at all just six months ago. Uh, It didn't seem possible. But we know that the Lord is at work. Amen. The Lord is at work. And I would like to speak this morning from Second Chronicles chapter 29 and chapter 30. And I'll just read uh, verses 1 and 2 from 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. And he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Verse 2, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies, which are new every morning. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being together at this time that we can share and worship. Lord, look to you together. And we pray now, Lord, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word, your precious word. Lord, we ask that you be glorified in our midst, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I would title this message this morning, Hezekiah's Revival. Hezekiah's Revival. And we want to consider some things about King Hezekiah and how he ruled and what was important to him and what he was able to do. You know, Hezekiah was the son of a very wicked king one of the most wicked that uh, Judah had produced and ahaz was his father and he reigned for 16 years until he was 36 years old and he was very wicked he did exceeding wicked in Judah and then hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old and he reigned for 29 years until he was 54 years old now his mother is mentioned here and We understand that in the word of God, if something is mentioned, it's important. And not all the king's mothers were mentioned, but she was. So that kind of tells us that she had an important aspect in Hezekiah's life. And Abijah, his mother's name, Abijah, means worshiper of Jah, which is Jehovah, the great God, you know, the great God. So that is the name that his mother had. And we might come to understand that she was truly a worshiper and had an impact in Hezekiah's life. And her father, that would be Hezekiah's maternal grandfather, his name was Zechariah, which means Jah has remembered, God has remembered. And so we see this background on his mother's side. And then we understand as well that he, on his father's side, he comes from King David. So that is what has produced Hezekiah. So he's from good people, but they do have problems. Hezekiah was the 13th of the kings of Judah. There were the three kings from the United Kingdom, Saul and David and Solomon. And then after that, there were 13 kings in the divided kingdom of Judah. And so he was the 13th in that lineup. And then there were five more that uh, came before Jerusalem was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar in 598 B.C. So we see kind of where Hezekiah is in that lineup, that there were five more kings after him before the first uh, captivity that came in 598 B.C. And in Pastor Bailey's book concerning the kings of Judah, he said this about Hezekiah, and I quote, One of the most precious sons of Zion that ever lived was King Hezekiah. The scriptures give this commendation of this godly man. In reading from 2 Kings 18, verse 5, He trusted in the Lord God Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Continuing, This is a tremendous approbation from the lips of God, No other king of Judah was like him. He walked in all the ways of his father, David. And so we want to consider now King Hezekiah and the revival that he facilitated in Judah during his reign. We want to see how Hezekiah had this in his heart and he worked immediately to bring it to pass that it was something that God had placed there and wanted to bring forth in his reign. And as we consider that, I just want us to reflect briefly on the situation that Hezekiah came into as he came to the throne. And it was very idolatrous. Judah had become very idolatrous. Jerusalem was filled with idols, filled with pagan altars. And so we want to look from 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 22 through 25. Verses 22 through 25. And in the time of his distress, did he trespass yet more against the Lord, that is, that king Ahaz, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every several city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. So we see here how Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, just was totally given over to idolatry. And that was what he filled the land with. He filled Jerusalem with it. He filled the land with idolatry. And it's very interesting. You see here when Syria bests him in battle, when they defeat him in battle, what is his response? Well, I'll go get their gods and start worshiping them and maybe that'll help me. But we see the exact opposite response in Hezekiah. When he is under siege from King Sennacherib, he goes into the temple, spreads the letter out before the Lord and turns to the Lord. And what a deliverance we see wrought. You know, 185,000 soldiers dead in one night and they didn't have to do anything. The Lord sent his destroying angel into the camp. That was Hezekiah. But his father... Goes and gets the gods of those that are defeating him and starts worshiping them. It's it's foolish. It doesn't even make sense, but that's what he did. And the Bible declares that this was his ruin and also the ruin of Israel. And you know, that of Judah. That is that really speaks to us about the importance of a leader, doesn't it? You know, as as a leader goes, so goes the nation, those who he is leading. They follow after. And so we want to be very careful, you know, what we go after, what we seek after, especially if you're leading a family or whatever it might be, you know, that we do that which is right in the Lord's sight and that we lead people in the way that the Lord would have us to lead. We see in verse 24 of 2 Chronicles, Chronicles 28, the desecration of the temple the removal of the vessels used for worship. Also in verse 24, we see the doors of the temple being shut up. And the word shut has the thought of stopping or surrendering, surrendering. Ahaz was surrendering to idolatry and he was stopping true worship in the nation. He was surrendering and stopping the temple worship And, you know, you can almost see Ahaz ordering guys to go shut up the temple. You know, what do they do? Go with hammers and nails and, you know, shut the thing right up. You know, we don't want that. Close it up. Close it off. We don't need it. It was a prominent building there in Jerusalem. And when you see maps, diagrams of the the temple complex, it it was quite something there in Jerusalem. And to think that they were shutting it up, that the king ordered that to be closed down. And, you know, what are they shutting up? What is it that they are keeping themselves from? You know, that's a, that's a good question to ask. We could ask it ourselves. If we were going to shut, shut up the temple of God in our own hearts, what would we be closing ourselves off from God? Well, there was the holy place. You know, and in the holy place, we find the table of showbread, you know, that has the bread upon it, that's made with the fine flour that has been purified and processed and ground and ground and ground until it is very, very fine flour. And of course, that represents the word of God and the work of the word of God in our lives and how that word that is pure will work in us and move in us. We know that Christ is called the bread of life, and that was very much part of what was being nailed up into the temple there. And then there are the candlesticks that we see, the light of God, his illumination of the word, and also the seven spirits of the Lord, which we see represented in each of those lamps that are on the menorahs that are in there. And we see those spirits enunciated in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It speaks of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, as well, those lamps, and how the light of the world, who is Christ, comes to illuminate us from John chapter 4 or John chapter 8 and verse 12. You know, the Lord is there to illuminate our lives. That was being shut up, that was being stopped and kept into the temple, and they wanted nothing to do with it. Then there is the golden altar of incense, which was set right there as you go into the Holy of Holies at the, at the veil. And the only thing that was burned on that night and day was incense, which represents our approach to God. It represents prayer, that incense mounting up from that golden altar in the Old Testament. And, of course, as we pray today, you know, that is as incense, we are told, that goes up before the throne of God. He hears our prayers. He's listening for our prayers. He wants to hear from us. And so we want to approach him. That was being blocked up when Hezekiah when Ahaz closed up the temple. And then there were the Holy of Holies on the other side of that veil. We see there the Ark of God which contained the law, the two tables of the law, the Ten Commandments. And there was that pot of manna that they had placed in there from the time in the desert, the children of Israel. And of course, that represents things, that the the word that God wants to give us. You know, it talks about the hidden manna, you know, the things that God wants to give us, precious truths for us, each one individually. And then there was Aaron's rod that budded. And that not only identified the tribe uh, of Levi as the priests, and Aaron is the high priest, but it also uh, speaks to us of resurrection life because Aaron's rod was not a living thing. It was, it was dead wood, but yet God brought life, resurrection life out of it. And then there's the mercy seat above the ark, which is where the presence of God dwelled. And it represented that truth of God's mercy over all, God's mercy over the law, God's mercy there to keep us, to watch over us, and his presence there in the temple. So this is what Ahaz was denying himself and his people. He was shuttering the doors, closing it up didn't want anybody to go in there and didn't want any of the benefit of that. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. You know, what was in his heart that would make him do such a thing, to shut all that down after God had gone to so much trouble to get it all set in place and functioning? And then what did he do after that? Well, you know, all atheists, they say they don't believe in anything, but they do. They do believe in something. And so he turns to idolatry. He turns, he's denied the true God. He's denied him his worship. And so now he fills Jerusalem and Judah with idols, with pagan altars all over the place. And the result is that Judah suffers now from their enemies. The Philistines come. They were always ready to come. God stirred them up and brought them in. And the Edomites came and the Assyrians came. He had enemies from all over the place now flocking into the nation and causing them great difficulty. And they couldn't put two and two together and see that it was because they were denying the true worship and embracing the false that that was causing their problems. And, you know, we can very easily draw parallels of this in the United States and in the nations of the earth today, can't we? I mean, what we are seeing going on right now, we can draw very close parallels from this. Much of the church today has shut up the temple. Many churches have shut up the temple and they've gone for something else, which is not of God. They have become idolatrous and the things of God have been replaced by carnality and by the flesh, things that have nothing to do with God that actually push him away. They have a worship and a message that appeals to those who do not seek the Lord and do not want to seek the Lord. Yet they come into a church and they worship in such a way and they receive a message that doesn't encourage them to seek the Lord, that doesn't encourage them to press in to the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's so sad that churches are becoming like that. And you can go into a church now and the worship is not uplifting at all. They're singing songs, they're playing instruments, but it almost seems like it's taking you down and it's depressing. That is not true worship. That is not worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Those who do not allow God to change their lives you know, that is many churches today. But we're so thankful that God has given Zion another message. Amen. A message that uplifts. And so after following after Ahaz for a little while, let's follow Hezekiah now, shall we? And get on the other side of this. In Second Chronicles 29 and verse 3, he in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Hallelujah. He couldn't wait. He could not wait to get at that temple and get that door opened and get going. And that was Hezekiah. That was the heart of Hezekiah. What an amazing thing that his father could be so different, that his father could have a heart that was so different than his son. But we see it here. Hezekiah in action. At the start of his reign, the very first month, Hezekiah opens the temple doors and has them repaired. Have you ever tried to use a door that needs repaired? You know, it doesn't swing too well. Maybe it catches on the bottom. The hinges are loose. It's flopping around. You know, they went in and they repaired those doors and got them working well so that the priests could go in and out, that the priests could go in and do what they needed to do to do what God had given them to do. The temple doors needed repaired, and they were repaired. In 2 Chronicles 29 and verse 4, And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the East Street. And the East Street was a broad place there next to the temple where they could spread out and have a meeting. Verses 5 through 7, And he said unto them, Hear me, you Levites, Sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. Carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. Verse 7 Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch, put out the lamps and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. So here they're receiving a charge. You know, the the lamps have been out. There's been no showbread in place. There has been no incense being burned, no sacrifices, no offerings. Everything had stopped. And now the command is being given. Go forth and do it. Do all these things. Start all these things again. And it really speaks to us of repentance. You know, as Hezekiah is is giving this charge, they are acknowledging, you know, their sin. They are acknowledging, you know, what has happened as a nation and where they're at as a nation. But they are turning from that. And that's what repentance is. We understand you make that 180 degree turn and you go in the other way. And that is exactly what they are doing here. We see that represented very clearly. You know, in verses four through seven, that repentance, that confession is starting to work. And the priests being brought into order and then sanctified. You know, they they weren't working. You know, they were out of work. The priests, you know, they weren't sanctified. Who knows what they were doing? You know, but they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And so they have to be brought into order again. And then they have to be sanctified so that they can actually approach a God in the temple and start to minister for the people and be that go-between that God desires. You know, all the filthiness resulting from years of neglect and idolatry removed from the holy place. You know, all that garbage, all that vile filthiness just taken out and removed from the temple, cleaning it, cleaning it, a deep cleaning, you know, getting into every nook and cranny and cleaning that temple out and preparing it for what God wants to do, what God has put in Hezekiah's heart, and what Hezekiah is putting into people's heart because it's in his heart. You know, a true leader, you know, he's leading his people and bringing them in to revival. That's where this is all headed. You know, all true worship had stopped. All true worship had stopped. And it had to start again. It had to start again. Hezekiah wanted to restore all of this to Judah. He wanted to fully inaugurate the full temple worship as it had been given by God. In 2 Chronicles 29, 10 and 11, now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him to serve him, that you should minister unto him and burn incense. It is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord. That's a very strong statement, but it was what was in his heart. You know, God had put it there and he was responding to it. And so we see Hezekiah's desire to put things right and to make that covenant with the Lord and to assure that things, yes, indeed, did get put back in place that the priests were doing what they should be doing that everything was in order everything was in place that the worship might get going again you know it's it's almost like an old engine you know that won't run you know because of neglect and you have to come in and change the oil you have to come in and you know work with the radiator you have to work with the carburetor there's a lot of things that have to be done before that engine is going to start and run the way it's supposed to and that's kind of what's going on here. Things have to be done. Things have to be carefully looked at. Things have to be put back in order if it's all going to work the way God has intended for it to work, where people can once again be in touch with the Lord and be receiving all that He has for them through the temple. The sacrifices began, an atonement made for the kingdom, the sanctuary, and Judah. I thought that was very interesting. It, it stuck out to me, kind of like shutting the temple doors really grabbed me. You know, this also kind of stuck out to me. Made atonement for the kingdom, that would be the, the the rulers. The sanctuary, that would be the priesthood. And Judah, which would be all the people. You know, so sacrifice was made for all and everyone to get it going again. And as the Lord stirred him, Hezekiah had it in his heart to reach out to Israel. Now This is very interesting because there's been such separation between Israel and Judah. And so we see that Hezekiah is stirred in a good way to reach out to Israel. Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 24. And the priests killed them and they made reconciliation with the blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. So it's for—it's not just for Judah. You know, he wants this to encompass the whole nation, all the tribes. He wants to bring them all in. That is something that God has put in his heart as well. And this is what we want to see in the last days. Amen. You know, the revival that the Lord is getting ready to send. And we want to talk about revival. It's important. You know, it's getting more important every day. The revival that God is going to send us, that we're preparing for now, is going to encompass the entire world. But you know, Pastor Bailey talked about revival starting here in the United States. That This is where it's going to start. And we have seen this in a measure in the past. You know, Azusa Street in 1906 in Los Angeles, when that started, you know, it was very local. But within a few months, there were people coming from all over the world. They were coming from Russia. You know, they were coming from all over. And to get from Russia to Los Angeles in 1906 wasn't as easy then as it is now. course, with the virus, it's not easy to travel a lot of places either now, but (laughs) the world will be impacted and we need to be ready for that. We need to be thinking like that. We need to have that in our mind so that it doesn't catch us by surprise, so that we're ready for it when it happens, because it has happened in a measure in the past. And there were many missionaries sent out, you know, as a result of God's moves in the past. But they are nothing compared to what we're going to be seeing and what God is going to do, how he's going to stir, the miraculous things that are going to happen when the power of God is released in the measure that we're going to be seeing. But we need to be ready for that, you know, that all-encompassing. You know, God is going to touch every part of the earth with this revival and give everyone an opportunity to receive him in it. We see Davidic worship being restored, music, instruments, songs. 2 Chronicles 29, 28 through 30. And all the congregation worshiped and the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offerings was finished. And when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped. Moreover, Hezekiah the king and the princes commanded the Levites, to sing praise unto the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. You know, we're going to see this on a grand scale in the revival that is coming. I remember hearing uh, about Wales uh, in the Welsh revival in 1904 uh, that came there and they talked about how God would move in a service And he would give the church, everybody in there, a new song all at the same time. It had never been sung before. It was not known before. But suddenly everyone in the church was singing it all together. And they didn't have overhead projectors in either. And even the pianist was playing the song. And God just gave it to them like that. We're going to see songs from heaven given to us just like that. We're so thankful for the songs that he's been giving us and that we have, and that lift us up and help prepare us. And I think we're going to see that more and more, that worshiping in spirit and in truth, those songs from heaven. There was a great rejoicing because of this. They were doing this dedication, rededicating the temple, and it was done suddenly, it says in the word, it was done suddenly, it was done quickly, and there was great rejoicing You know, God can move quickly. He can move very quickly. They were shocked how quickly God moved to get all this going again and then to move into the Passover that they celebrated. Well, the Lord had put in Hezekiah's heart this desire to celebrate a Passover. And they even did it a month late. There was so, so much to do. It had been neglected for so long they couldn't do it in time. And so they had to postpone it. But Hezekiah wanted to celebrate a complete Passover. And we know that Passover, the Feast of Passover, uh, is indicative of salvation. And Hezekiah had this in his heart. And he also invited again all of Israel to come to this. You see that in 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 5. So they they established a, a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba even to Dan that they should come to keep the passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem for they had not done it of a long time in such sort as it is written so here you know after you see you see that heart that Hezekiah has to bring all of Israel together and he makes a very eloquent plea in 2 Chronicles 30 verses 6 through 10 for them to come to Jerusalem and join them and be part of this Passover. Hezekiah was reaching out to them. And it says that many laughed and many mocked and many scorned and and not many came, but some did. Some did. Some humbled themselves, it says in the word. Some humbled themselves and they came. And there is that thought of humility. Amen? Amen. We know that humility is a necessary characteristic that we want to have in our lives always. But especially in revival, you know, God is going to be moving. God is going to be putting things right. And God is going to be digging and getting at things in our hearts, in our lives. And we have to be humble by the grace of God to allow him to do that, to yield ourselves to what God wants to do. So we see that humility is an important quality for revival. It is a necessity in revival. You know, in past revivals, men would come in, proud men, Christian leaders, and they might have a problem with the leadership of the revival. And they would come in. They were going to take it over. They were going to put it right. They were going to straighten them out. And they came into the meeting to do that. And they took two steps through the door. And the next thing they knew, they were on the floor and couldn't move so much for taking over, the Lord was in control, amen? And the leaders of those revivals just sat there and waited on the Lord. Lord, what do you want to do in this meeting? And the Lord would lead them. But when somebody would come in, I'm gonna take over, we're gonna get this straightened out on the floor. So they came in proud, but they got humbled anyway, amen? You know, there had never been a Passover celebrated like this before in the times of the kings of Judah. And there was a lot that was left that needed to be done. Some of the priests and the Levites weren't fully sanctified. The people weren't fully sanctified. And technically, according to the law, they shouldn't have been partaking of the Passover. But we see how God moved and Hezekiah prayed for them. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 18, he said, may the Lord, may the God Lord pardon everyone, or excuse me, may the good Lord pardon everyone. You see that in uh, verse, chapter 30, verse 18. And in verse 20, it says, and the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Amen. So the Lord was willing to overlook that. He realized what was going on and he overlooked that. But healing, you know, there was healing going on. There was, I'm sure, healing going on on many levels. But again, revival. We are going to see tremendous healing. Not just physical healing, which we want and need, but also healing of our spirit, healing of our soul. God is going to do a complete work. There there was healing at this Passover, which was very much the launch pad of this great revival that Hezekiah was leading, and we're going to see that in the revival that is coming as well. You know, and they kept it, and they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and this is interesting. They, they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread for 14 days instead of just seven. You know, they just sensed God moving, and instead of just doing one feast that was seven days long, they added another one onto the end of it and had 14 days of celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, the joy that they had in this. There was tremendous joy in Second Chronicles 30, verse 26 and 27. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling, even into heaven. So we see, you know, that from Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, there was terrible idolatry. The people had abandoned the temple worship. They had stopped it all and were given over to all of this idolatry. And then we see as Hezekiah comes to the throne, he has it in his heart to inaugurate all this again, to open the temple, to start the worship, to lift up the Lord in their midst once again that all would be done according to what he prescribed. And he got the priests going. He got the people going. And he even was reaching out to the nations roundabout, seeking to bring them in. And again, we can draw parallels from all of this that's happening here with Hezekiah and his kingdom, with what God wants to do in the revival that he is preparing for us in our time. Amen. And we see that as that came to fruition, as that was fulfilled The great joy that the people had. You know, so much so that from the top down, they wanted to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread for twice as long. It was a time of great rejoicing. And so it will be in the revival that God is preparing for us. Amen. He is going to give us great joy. We're going to see him move in wonderful ways. We're going to see him do things that we've just, we've given up on. We're going to see him touch situations and bring such renewal, such healing, such grace and power will be poured out. Even as we see here with Hezekiah, he had that in his heart. He had made that covenant with the Lord in his heart, you know, to see these things happen. And that's what the Lord wants to prepare us for, that we too would be willing to make that covenant in our heart with him that yes, Lord, we want what you're bringing. We want to prepare for it. We want to get our lives right. We want to be those who can be ready for when, when you move. And it's, it's not that you have to get everything done before God moves, amen. We do what he puts his finger on now, and then when he moves in power and revival, he's gonna continue doing that work, not only in us, but in all the multitudes that he's going to be bringing in, amen. Amen. Well, let us pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. Lord, we thank you for how you moved through Hezekiah. We thank you, Lord, for how you have moved throughout the ages through men and women that you have chosen and picked out and prepared. And Lord, you're doing that in your church today. Lord, even as Hezekiah made this covenant in his heart with you, may we make that covenant as well. May we be willing to stand in that place, Lord, where we're looking for you to move and we're doing what you have given us to do. Lord, that we might see you in your glory, that we might see you in your power and that we might see the multitudes come in to your kingdom. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that we can be part of the company that is preparing even now. And Lord, may we be those who are obedient to all that you are giving, to all that you are doing and be mindful of that covenant. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you all.